good morning and um, awesome time of worship. Prepare yourself because we're going to be doing a lot of that in heaven. And, I, and, I, and it's going to be an awesome day when we're all assembled together. Just think of this, all the Christians of all time in the presence of the Lord, worshiping the Lord with all of our heart, soul, and mind. It's going to be awesome. Prepare yourself for that. We, um, we're going to continue on in our uh, study in Revelation here. I know that uh, even as uh, Kyle said, you know, uh, the section that we're in is, is some difficult section. We're talking a lot about the, the judgments of God, and we're going to be talking about that a little bit uh, even this morning. But it's important for us to know as Christians that the judgments that we see throughout the book of Revelation, and there's three sets of judgments that are going to come down upon this earth and upon mankind during that time. They're for a purpose, a very specific purpose in God's plan. It's important for us to know this. One of those purposes for the tribulation period, this seven-year tribulation period, is that God is going to judge this world for those that have rejected Jesus Christ. He's going to bring an end to the rebellion and the wickedness that we see even in mankind today and in our world. And it's growing worse and worse. Do I need to convince anyone of that? God is going to deal with that in these days. Uh, Also, the second thing is that God wants to save a multitude of people during that time. There are many that have rejected Christ. They put off salvation even now, but I believe during that tribulation time, according to Revelation chapter 7, there's going to be a multitude of people which no one could number, and I believe both Jews and Gentiles that are going to be saved during that seven-year tribulation period. The third reason for the tribulation period is that God is going to fulfill the promises that he made to the nation of Israel. God made covenants and promises that he must fulfill. If he's a God of his word, then he will fulfill the things that he has said. But in doing so, he's going to break the pride And he's going to break the stubbornness of his people, Israel. God is going to deal harshly with the nation of Israel during the tribulation period. But with all of that said, there's going to be a remnant of his people that he's going to save out of that. And that tells us something about the very nature and character of who our God is. I shared... Last week, it's actually been over the past few weeks, out of chapter 14. I shared that chapter 14 is a panoramic view, we might say, of the last three and a half years, the last second half, the last half of the tribulation period that's going to end in the battle of Armageddon and the second coming of Jesus Christ. We can read a little bit about what this day will look like from the prophet Zephaniah. In Zephaniah chapter 1, verse 14, we read this about this coming day. 
that we call the tribulation period. It says that the great day of the Lord is near. It is near and it hastens quickly. The noise of the day of the Lord is bitter. There there the mighty men shall cry out. The day of the Lord, or the day is a day of wrath, a day of trouble and distress, a day of devastation and desolation. A day of darkness and gloominess. A day of clouds and thick darkness. A day of trumpet and alarm against the fortified cities and against the high towers. It's going to be an awesome day. It's going to be a fearful day. As it says in scripture, it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. It should stir our hearts. It should cause us as Christians to consider the the days that we're living in, the period of time that God has given us to be a witness for him. To warn, to go out with the gospel, to share our faith with those who don't know Christ. Let's start by reading in chapter 15, our text this morning, verses 1 to 8. John sees another vision in heaven. We read in verse 1, Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels having the seven last plagues, for in them the wrath of God is complete. And I saw something like a sea of glass mingled with fire, and those who have the victory over the beast, over his image, and over his mark, and over the number of his name, standing on the sea of glass, having harps of God. They sang the song of Moses, the servant of God, And the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are your works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the saints. Who shall not fear you, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. For all nations shall come and worship before you. For your judgments have been manifested. After these things, I looked, and behold, the temple of the tabernacle of the testimony in heaven was opened. And out of the temple came the seven angels, having the seven seven plagues clothed in pure bright linen, and having their chests girded with golden bands. Then one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls, full of the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. The temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power, and no one was able to enter the temple till the seven plagues of the seven angels were completed. An awesome day. A terrifying day. A fearful day. But we read on in this 15th chapter, which is 
really the prelude, and I titled it the prelude to the bold judgments. It's that last set of judgments, three sets of judgments. The first starting with the seal judgments, and then it was the trumpet judgments. And the last and the second half of the tribulation will be the bold judgments. Some of your Bibles might read the vile judgments that will be poured out in that second half. Well, look again at verse 1. It says, and it starts with the word then. Whenever you see the word then in scripture, it, it indicates that there's another event that John is about to see. He says, I saw another sign in heaven. He says of it, he says, great and marvelous, seven angels having the seven last plagues, for in them the wrath of God is complete. Where the wrath of God is finished. The last sign or signs we could say that John saw was back in chapter 12 verse 1 and also in verse 3. We read in, in Revelation 12:1. now a great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun. That woman being Israel. Uh, a type of Israel clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a garland of twelve stars. The second sign in that chapter is in verse 3. We read, And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great fiery red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns and seven diadems on his heads. Speaking about Satan himself in that 12th chapter. This next sign that John sees, he sees it in heaven also. And he describes it as being great and marvelous. And I think John here is really taken back in the moment. It's awesome. It's remarkable what he's seeing. And maybe it's this, this great and marvelous thing that John is seeing, this sign that he is seeing, is because of the fact that he knows that it's going to be in these last vials, these last bold judgments, that the wrath of God is complete, that it's going to come to an end. Or maybe it's because John is able now to see how great and how marvelous God's works and his ways are. You see, there's going to come a point where we, even as the church, we're going to see how God is going to be orchestrating these seven years. We're going to have that vantage point from heaven. We're going to be in the presence of the Lord. But we're going to be able to see and we're going to be able to come in line with the justice and the righteous judgments of God during that time. We're going to be able to rejoice in God's righteous judgments. It's hard for us to take in at times now. We have loved ones. We have people that we don't want to see enter into that time. And some of us, as I shared in the beginning of Revelation, some of us are fearful about the th thought of even the tribulation beginning or coming to that point. But there is going to be this time when the church in heaven is going to rejoice in God's righteous judgments. John says that I saw seven angels 
having the seven last plagues or these final plagues that are going to be poured out upon this earth and upon mankind. We saw in chapter 8 these same seven angels who sounded the seven trumpets. That was the second set of judgments that came upon this earth. These seven angels, we might say, are God's messengers of his wrath. God uses angels for his purposes. He uses whole nations to administer wrath upon his own people and upon other nations. God is in complete control of all things. God is using these angels, these seven angels, these messengers to be instruments of his wrath. We are going to see these seven angels actually four, these group of seven angels four times in this chapter in verse 1, 6, 7, and 8. We're going to see them three more times in the rest of the book of Revelation in chapter 16 verse 1, chapter 17, verse 1, and chapter 29, verse 1. These seven angels that God is using as his instruments. He goes on to say, for in them, for in these plagues, these last plagues, the wrath of God is complete. I think by the end of the tribulation period, It's going to come to that place like we read in chapter 14 about what this world will be like during that time. There will be people refusing to repent, people refusing to worship God, people refusing to turn in fear of God during that time. Why? Because their hearts have become so hardened. The Holy Spirit is no longer drawing and it's coming down to those final days and these last judgments that are going to be poured out upon this earth. The ancient uh, Greek word for wrath is the word thumos. It's a Greek word that's used often and actually the most often in the book of Revelation. This is what the word wrath means in the Greek. It's defined as a volatile, passionate anger, an outburst of wrath, from inward indignation. That's what the word thumos means. God's wrath upon this earth and upon mankind. The other Greek word that we find also uh, in the book of Revelation, it's actually used five times, it's the word orge. And it's defined this way. It's an anger that's from a settled disposition. And so we can see these two words actually in Revelation chapter 14, verse 9. Both of these words are used. It says in verse 9, it says, Then a third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast, speaking about the Antichrist and his image, and receives his mark on his forehead or on his hand, he himself shall also drink of the wine of the wrath of God, that's thumos, which is poured out in full strength into the cup of his indignation, 
that's orge. He shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. It's important for us to note when we are talking about the wrath of God that God is never one that is putting forth his wrath like he's blowing off steam. Have you ever blown off steam? Have you ever been angry and you just kind of let it all loose? That's not what God is doing. He's not blowing off steam in the moment because he's angry at his creation in that that sense. But this wrath that's coming upon mankind and upon this earth is really a part of his holy character of who he is, that God is holy, that God is just, that God is righteous in all of his judgment. It's important for us to know that what we are reading here in the book of Revelation is coming from the very nature of who God is, that our God is a holy, just, and righteous God, and he must judge sin. And God will never, and this is important to To keep in mind, God will never judge. God will never condemn a person unjustly. It won't happen. There won't be one person that will be unfairly or unjustly condemned when it comes to their salvation in the the end. In the very end, it will not come that way. It will be because they have rejected Christ. They've turned away from God. They refused to repent. These final bold judgments are going to complete the wrath of God. The wrath of God against a Christ-rejecting world. It's going to come to an end. There will be a stopping point at which God will bring it to a head. It'll be complete. And it means that it's, uh, that word actually complete there means that it's going to reach an end or it's going to reach its aim. God has a plan for that. But we also know that this time that we're in, in Revelation chapter 16, we'll get to that next, that'll be the outpouring of the bulls, that this is actually the hot wrath of God upon this world. I don't know exactly what that will look like. But as I read my Bible and I take it and literally read it for what it is, to me, that is going to be a terrible and awesome day when that comes. I shared last week that Jesus Christ, he came in the Gospels as a sower of seed, bringing the word to this world. But he's coming back as a reaper. But he also came like a lamb. But he's coming back as a lion. And we even were part of our worship this morning. He's coming back as a lion in the end. He came as a shepherd with a staff. But he's coming back with a sharp two-edged sword from his mouth at the second coming of Jesus Christ. He came riding into Jerusalem, meek and lowly, riding on the the back of a colt. But when he comes back, he's coming back on a white horse, judging and making war. 
And so it's important for us as Christians to see the balance of who God is. He's a loving God. He's not willing that any should perish. He came onto this scene not to condemn the world, but to save the world. He came as as a God of love to this world, but he must judge sin and he will come back as a judge. Don't ever let someone tell you that the tribulation period is not a time of God's wrath. There are those that want to, they want to talk it away. They want to say, well, we're not really talking, you know, that's just all allegorical. It's not really, no, this will be a time of God's wrath. But let me give you some good news. We need some good news in the moment, don't we? Here's some good news for all of us this morning. At least all of us that know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Paul wrote about this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. In verse 9 he says, For they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you. He's talking about when he came into Thessalonica with uh, Titus. And he says, how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God. He's rejoicing that these people came to faith in Jesus Christ when he came in and shared the gospel. And then it goes on to say, and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. And so if you know Christ as your Lord and Savior, you can have strong confidence that you are not going to experience the wrath of God during the tribulation period. We read also in 1 Thessalonians 5.9, Paul says this also. He says, but let us who are of the day be sober. You're either of the day or you're of the night. If you know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you're of the day. Let us be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's our hope. That's our confident expectation as believers, that you are not appointed to wrath looking ahead into chapter 16 of revelation we read then the seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air and a loud voice came out of the temple of heaven from the throne saying look what it says it is done It's done. You see that exclamation? It is done. It's over. And then when we get to the last verse in chapter 16, and we'll get there, the next event that follows that last bowl that is being poured out, the next event will be the second coming of Jesus Christ. When you read the book of Revelation, you cannot read it just in chronological order from chapter to chapter like it's just all because there's these parenthetical chapters that I've talked about that are time, times where there are information inserted. When you get to the end of the 16th chapter, the next event is going to be the second coming of Jesus Christ. 
And then all the other chapters are going to be other information that we're going to get. We learned last week that the Battle of Armageddon, when Christ returns, he's going to come back and he's going to thrust his sharp sickle into the earth. He's going to gather the vine of the earth, we're told, and he's going to throw it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And this is going to finish that period. This is going to be the time where that time of the Gentiles is going to be done. Again, it's going to be done at that time. The time of the Gentiles, God is going to bring that to an end. The time that the Gentiles have have tried to uh, overcome Israel, to attack Israel. Everything that has come up against Israel, we're in that time of the Gentiles. God is going to bring that to an end. These seven angels who John sees coming out of the temple in heaven will have with them seven golden bowls, which we're told that these bowls are full of God's wrath, which he is going to pour out in chapter 16. But look at verse 2 of our text. John says, And I saw something like a sea of glass mingled with fire, and those who have the victory over the beast. Don't you love that? John is seeing those who have had victory over the Antichrist, over the beast. And then they also have victory over his image and victory over his mark and over the number of his name. And they're all standing on the sea of glass having harps of God. And you know what I wrote to that verse? Victory, victory, victory. Victory. You see, God is a God of victory. God wants to give us victory as believers. We have the victory in Jesus Christ. There are going to be tribulation saints. There are going to be those that are going to have to give their life up for Christ during the tribulation period that are also going to see victory. They're going to be the ones that have the said, I'm not going to take the mark. I'm not going to worship the image of the beast. I'm not going to take. And they are going to see victory. And John sees them all standing on this sea of glass, having harps of God. Victory. Paul wrote for you and I as Christians that we have victory in 1 Corinthians 15, 51. Paul said this, He says, behold, I tell you a mystery, Christians. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. That's coming, church. That's coming for you and I that know the Lord. You're going to have your new bodies. We're going to be taken up to be with the Lord in the air. In verse 53, he says, For this corruptible, speaking about your corruptible body, it must put on incorruption. And this mortal 
must put on immortality. In other words, that has to happen for you to enter into God's kingdom in heaven. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Death has no power over you. You have as a believer the victory in Jesus Christ. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that awesome? We have the victory already. Therefore, my beloved brethren, Christians, be steadfast. Be immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. We have work to do, church. We're not just simply just sitting and waiting for the rapture to take place. We have work to do. We have to take this gospel out to this world. We need to be a witness. We need to live for Christ. We need to glorify Him with our lives. We have just a window of time to be able to do that. And we need to make good use of that time as Christians. We also read in 1 John 5, 4, John wrote this. He says, for whatever is born of God. That's talking about being born again. Raise your hand if you're born again of God. Whoever is born of God, whatever is born of God overcomes the world and this is the victory that overcomes the world our faith are you an overcomer if you're a born-again Christian then you are an overcomer and your faith has given you the victory in Jesus Christ amen amen back in chapter 4 John saw a vision of the heavenly throne room back in that chapter And in verse 6, we read that before the throne, there was a, here it is again, a sea of glass. It was like crystal, John said. When he looked at it, it looked like crystal as he looked upon it. And in the midst of the throne and around the throne were four living creatures full of eyes in front and in the back. And those were, as we defined it then, angelic beings that will be there in that heavenly scene. By the way, in chapter 4 is, I believe, when the church is raptured and taken up. Chapter 4 and 5 are that, is that heavenly scene. But here, again, in verse 2, John sees something like a sea of glass. This is the second time now. He sees something, and it doesn't say it is a sea of glass. It's like a sea of glass that's mingled with fire. And again, like a number of things throughout the book of Revelation, there's different interpretations. I'll give you a a couple of them of what some have thought this to mean, this sea of glass mingled with fire. Uh, that it could be referring to the fires of judgment that will be coming down. Others believe that it's referring to the persecution 
of the believers by the beast, by the Antichrist, during the tribulation period. Uh, the people standing on what looks like a sea mingled with fire are the tribulation martyrs that John has seen. Others think, because of the image from Exodus about this chapter, they see the fire as an indication of the color red with it an allusion to the Red Sea and the deliverance from bondage. They see in this chapter the words plagues and Moses and tabernacle and the smoke of the cloud of his glory. They see this chapter showing the ultimate exodus in the end. The freedom of God's people from a sinful and persecuting world. That's another interpretation of that sea of glass mingled with fire. Henry Morris, a commentator, wrote, perhaps mingled with fire does not speak of red, but of God's judgment, the baptism with fire about to be poured about upon this earth. What it appears to me and my thoughts on it is that the vision that John is seeing here is of these tribulation martyrs uh, who have gone through the fires of judgment. They've gone through, they're in the tribulation period. They've refused to worship the beast. They refuse the mark of the beast. They're going through the fires of judgment, but they have lost their physical lives as a result of it. Remember, there are going to be many that are going to be killed for their faith during the tribulation. But now John sees them standing on this sea of glass, victorious over the beast. That's something that John is seeing that is marvelous in his sight. We know that Peter, who suffered much persecution himself, as all the apostles did, Peter, he spoke of persecution as fire that it would be uh, something that would test the genuineness of our faith. In 1 Peter 1.6, Peter wrote, In this you greatly rejoice, Christians. I added that. Though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. Anybody there? That you've been grieved by various trials that the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that cherishes perishes though it be tested by fire he says though your faith is tested by fire it may be found to praise honor and glory when at the revelation of Jesus Christ you see me, even Christians in this life, many of Christians, including many of us, experience the fires of tribulation in life. And many Christians experiencing the persecution for their faith, living for Christ, being persecuted for their faith. And many Christians that are being martyred for their faith throughout all of church history, they've gone through the fire. And these tribulation saints will do the same. We're told, though, that these tribulation martyrs are going to have the victory. And isn't that a gracious God? Isn't that a God that wants to save? 
that he has even taken those that have rejected. They went into the tribulation period. And here he is still taking and giving opportunity to many on this earth to receive him. And they too have the victory. They have victory over the beast. They have victory over his image. They have victory over the mark and the number of his name. God will give them also the victory. And some of them may be loved ones and people we know. Some of them are people that we're going to be praying for. John sees these tribulation believers standing on the sea of glass in victory. In Revelation chapter 12, verse 11, we read this about the tribulation martyrs in that chapter. This is one of those parenthetical chapters, so it's talking about the tribulation martyrs. It says, they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives to the death. They did not love their lives even to death. You see, that, that's, that's a person that is believing. That's a person that says, you know what? I'm willing to give it all up. I say that I believe in Jesus Christ, but am I, am I willing to do anything that would show that my faith is real? These believers have a real faith. They're going to have to give it up, all of it, their life up for Christ. The Apostle Paul made it very clear that standing is our victory. Did you know that that is what we are all called to do? Is that we're to stand. John sees them standing on the sea of glass. But here in the book of Ephesians, Paul says that we are to stand as believers those of us that are in our men's Bible study on Tuesday night, we went through the book of Ephesians. We read in our key verse that I kept driving home to the men in our church was Ephesians 6.10, where Paul says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to do what? That you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. That's our real battle, Christians. It's not with flesh and blood. It's against all these other spiritual hosts of wickedness. And then he says this in verse 13, Therefore, Christians, Take up the whole armor of God. Put it on, Christians, that you may be able to what? Withstand in the evil day. And having done all to do what? To stand. That is the, the mode of a Christian. That is the stance, I should say, of a Christian. One of standing against your foe. Not running, not turning around and running away from him, but making that stand in the power and the strength of Jesus Christ. John says he sees these tribulation saints standing on the sea, having harps of God. We saw that also back in Revelation chapter 5. 
This is when the church is in heaven. These are the church age saints. That will be you and I in that day when we're taken up into heaven in the presence of the Lord. And John saw when the Lamb, Jesus Christ, had taken the scroll that the four living creatures and the 24 elders, they all fell down before the Lamb, each having harp, a harp and golden bowls full of the incense which are the prayers of the saints. Isn't that interesting? That these golden bowls that we're reading about in the 15th chapter, the bowls of wrath in the 5th chapter of Revelation, those bowls, those golden bowls are holding the incense, which are the prayers of the saints. All of those prayers that you have lifted up and are continuing to lift up for your loved ones that don't know Christ. You're lifting up these prayers. We're going to see, I believe, in that day, many of our prayers fulfilled. Hopefully before the tribulation begins, but it will be for some even during that tribulation time. We also saw in Revelation chapter 14 where John says, Then I looked and behold a lamb standing on Mount Zion and with him 144,000 having their father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven like the voice of many waters, like the voice of a loud thunder. And I heard the sound of harpists playing their harps. You see that these harps being played, it's it's that sound of the redeemed. It's those that have been saved, those that have given their life to Christ. We read on in verse 3. John now hears these martyred saints Singing a song of victory. Look at what it says. They sang the, or they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God. And they also sing the song of the Lamb. Both two songs here. In, in the Old Testament, Moses, who was the servant of God, was to Israel their great deliverer. In the New Testament, Jesus Christ is the great redeemer. He's our redeemer. And here they are, these martyred saints singing the song of Moses and the song of the Lamb. It really encompasses really all of the redemption of God throughout all of time. We also read in Revelation 14.3, we read this already, that the 144,000 are going to be singing a new song before the throne. There's going to be a lot of worship. There's going to be a lot of singing. You know, redemption is such an incredible work of God. Look what God has done in your life. Look what he's going to do even during the tribulation period. Listen to what the tribulation saints were singing in verse 3. They sing the song of Moses the servant of God and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are your works, Lord God Almighty. God's works are worthy of our praise. Just look at the works of God. Read your Bible. Read about the incredible works of God, and it should cause you to worship Him. Just and true, look what he says, are your ways. O King of the saints. In other words, God's ways are worthy of our worship. The way God does things, 
the way God has it all planned out. When we read our Bibles and we see this incredible plan of God, it should cause us to worship Him. They also sing in verse 4, Who shall not fear you and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. For all nations shall come and worship before you. For your judgments have been manifested. In other words, he's worthy of our worship. But did you notice one of the key words in those verses? There's seven words in those in that verse there, it's these words, your, your, you, your, you, you, your. Do you see that? And really that is what true undefiled worship is. When you're lifting up your worship to the Lord, you're putting him on the throne. You're worshiping him. A lot of worship songs are about us and what it does for us. But when we worship the Lord, when we put him in his rightful place, it's all about him. It's not about us. It's about Him. And I believe that the two great motivators that will lead us to obedience as Christians before God are these two words. Love and fear. Love and fear. Do you have a love for God with all your heart, soul, and mind? Do you have a fear and an awe of the God that you serve? You see both of those hold themselves in check. But we need to have both. And we need to teach those things to our children. If you're a parent and you're still raising your children, you need to teach them to love God with all their hearts. You need to also teach them to have the fear of the Lord. At a young age, it's a responsibility that we have as Christians. Remember back in Revelation 14, 6. We read, Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel, to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people. The gospel is going to go out. And these angel, this angel flying is saying with a loud voice, Fear God. And give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment has come, and worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of the water. That's what the angel is telling the inhabitants of the earth during the tribulation period to do. Fear God, worship him. We read on, though, that they would not repent. Many would not turn. Many would not repent. Many would not fear God. Many would not worship God. Verse 4 also says, part of their worship, words of worship, for you alone are holy. It's a, it's a term which speaks of the inherit, the very nature of who God is. God is holy. We sang it in our worship. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. All the nations, and that nations there could include Jew and Gentile, shall come and worship before you. For your judgments have been manifested. In other words, they worship Him for His righteous judgments. As they see Him even 
judging the earth and as they see him. These are those martyred saints. These are those tribulation saints seeing the righteous judgments of God upon this earth. And here they are worshiping him for it. Your judgments have been made manifest. And we worship you for it. We see your righteous hand in it. We see that you are judging this earth with justice and fairly. Notice that all of their worship, they're not talking about all that they did. They're not talking about all the things that they did as, as these martyred saints during the tribulation period. But they're praising God for what he did. Who he is. What he has done. You see, that's really what true undefiled worship is. It's putting him in place. It's what we should do every time we worship the Lord, even in this place. It's about you, God. In verse 5, after these things, John says, I looked. And behold, the temple of the tabernacle of the testimony in heaven was open. John is actually able to see in to this heavenly temple. This is not the tribulation temple that will be built there in Jerusalem on Mount Zion. This is the heavenly tabernacle that is opened up in heaven and John is seeing into it. John says, I looked and behold, and he sees into the temple. He sees the, uh, this temple and, and when he's uh, in verse 6 and it says, and out of the temple came the seven angels having the seven plagues clothed pure bright linen and having their chests girded with golden bands. John is getting this vision now of, remember this is the prelude to chapter 16. John is seeing these angels now, this vision of the heavenly temple. He's seeing these angels coming forth out of that heavenly temple that are going to bring forth these seven last plagues upon this earth. But they're clothed with pure white linen and their chests are girded with golden bands. They're coming out from the presence of God. Each of them having a bowl. They're dressed in this pure uh, bright linen which speaks of their holiness and their righteousness as they go out to pour out these bowls. And they have this wide golden band or sash across their chest. Which is the same thing that we see in Revelation chapter 1. When John had that vision of the glorified Christ. It says he had a gold band across his chest. Which speaks of the purity and his righteousness. Verse 7. Then one of the four living creatures. Remember these are those angelic beings. Uh, gave the seven angels the seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. So they're handed these bowls. In verse uh, 8, we're told that the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power and no one was able to enter the temple till the seven plagues of the seven angels was completed. 
one that was able to go into this heavenly temple. These are, might be some of the, 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 the most fearful words when you think about what that means because during this time of God pouring out his wrath, these bold judgments upon this earth, no one is able to go into that temple to intercede. Remember, it was the priest that would go in one time a year on behalf of the people. He'd go in there and he would make uh, atonement for the sins of the people. There, John is seeing that no one had uh, entrance or no one was able to enter into this temple. No intercession is possible now. We're at the end of the tribulation period. The final outpouring of God's wrath. No intercession will be possible. In other words, time has run out. God's long suffering that we read about now has come to an end. The time of reaping has come. The final outpouring of his wrath has now come. That's the part we're into when we get into Revelation chapter 16, which we're going to look at all seven of those bowls in the 16th chapter, which is going to be the seven bowls of judgment, the last and final set of judgments upon this earth. A lot. I have to study it. I have to read it. I have to look at it and go, whoa. That should grab our attention as Christians. If you really believe your Bible, you believe what you're reading, it should grab hold of you. And it does with me. But we're going to take a communion together. Uh, right now I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. We're going to partake of communion, and I, I want to read to you from uh, Hebrews chapter 9. You can turn there in your Bibles. Chapter 9, verse 23. But before we read that, I, I, want, to, I want to say this. I, as I teach in the way that I'm teaching here about the judgments and the wrath of God and all that, that should cause us as believers to do a little bit of self-examination. It should cause us to think, where do I, where is my walk with the Lord? How am I doing in my walk with Christ? Am I right in my heart this morning? And you know what I would encourage you all? Is that you would get your heart right with God before you take communion today. Before you just come up and, and make it into a ritualistic thing. That I'm just going to partake of the bread and the cup. And you know we do this periodically. But that we would get our hearts right. That we would take serious the things that we're reading here. But even as New Testament Christians that are here. That have this before us. That we're called to partake of until the Lord returns. Do we just take that lightly? Of what that cost our Lord. For us to have redemption, to have eternal life. And so my prayer, my exhortation to us here in this church is that we would get our hearts right this morning. How can you do that? I'm going to have uh, a couple people, a few people maybe standing up here. When you come up, if you need prayer, if you have a prayer that you need, uh, uh, something that you need to repent of, that you need to get right with God, you can go to one of these and just say, would you pray for me? And then take your cup and bread and go back to your seat and we'll all partake together. 
But the most important thing that we could do this morning before we take is to make sure that our hearts are right. That we don't have anything in there that is standing in the way of receiving from the Lord everything that he wants to bless you with this morning in communion. And so as uh, Kyle leads us in worship, uh, come on up. If you're going to, if you come forward and say, hey, I need Jesus. I need to receive him as my Lord and Savior. They'll pray with you right there. You can receive Christ, take your communion and go back to your seat. Let's make sure that you know him as Lord and Savior before you partake of the cup. Let's make sure that you have set your heart right before the Lord. And you can do that by just coming up to this before you do it and just saying, would you pray for me? I need prayer. Let's go ahead and uh, worship. Let's all stand.